Chapter 17. The Musical. The homecoming football game on Friday night was standard fare, complete with homecoming queen and court. Somewhat expected, one of the football players would have to skip the halftime pep talk in the locker room and in full battle pads escort the loveliest lady to midfield for her coronation. The band was in fine form and expectations were high. I confess it all felt a bit strange being in the stands and not on the field. Ashamed to admit it, but I had not attended a game since the final one of my senior year. We had thoroughly demolished Hartsell that night long ago. Seems I recall that Paul Washington and Joe Bab Robinson had even showered and changed clothes at halftime. They wouldn't be needed in the third quarter. They were getting a jump on the hot water supply in the boys' locker room. In the end, on this homecoming Friday night, we lost a close one to Fort Payne, brought about by a bizarre kind of fumble inside the final minute that resulted in what's called a scoop and score, a long touchdown run with recovered fumble accompanied by hundreds of gasps, stares of disbelief, and a chorus of, oh no! Tough loss. Dampened the spirits just a bit, but as the reality settled in, we knew we needed to move on. The weekend wasn't over yet. That brought us to Saturday night in our class reunion party. Having escaped Mary Jo successfully without any lasting entanglement or embarrassment, I made it to the high school gymnasium for the featured cultural event of the weekend, the senior class musical theater production of South Pacific. Hard not to smile when I thought about the song, Some Enchanted Evening. Mary Jo had certainly been trying to make it an enchanted evening for everyone in her wake. She did have one thing going for her. We wouldn't forget the sight of her across a crowded room. Try as you might, but how could you shake off that lady? I shook just thinking about it. I looked around. I didn't see her. I was safe. For now. It was open seating for the audience, and I found one near the front sat down next to a lady who was about my age. We exchanged, hi, how are yous? And I asked her the obvious question. Do you have anyone in the show? Oh, yes, she gushed. My Davy's playing Billis, the laundryman. Do you know the show? Billis is really something, a real star. I've been to every rehearsal. I can't wait to see how it turns out. Oh, my gosh, I'm so nervous. Oh, great. I'd gone from the presence of Mary Jo the Magnificent to musical theater stage mom, hovering like a helicopter over her Davy, who upon discovery by the top talent scouts was no doubt jumping straight from high school to the Broadhurst Theater in New York City. I smiled and artificially sputtered an assurance that I also couldn't wait to see Davy. I was sure he would be amazing. I had watched the movie more than once. My mom was a big fan of musicals, and I was pretty well-versed in the old-school classics. For some reason, with the overflowing adrenaline in the seat beside me, I found myself just a bit on edge. Inwardly, I was thinking, Davy, hope you don't stumble over your lines during that scene when that parade of nurses dances by on the beach during their morning calisthenics. I'm sure you're something special, but you're probably going to have to prove it. We aren't willing to crown you the second coming of Yule Brenner just yet even if your mother already has. 
I turned away from Stage Mom to reading the minimal playbill. It was full of short bios with the requisite personal shout-outs. Thanks to my family and my friend Tad for encouraging me on. And go Bulldogs! I smiled. They were throwing themselves into this production with all they had, and I was glad for them. The community was behind it as the ads in the playbill proudly announced wide support. I looked up and saw a few of my reunion classmates in rows nearby, and we exchanged nods and pleasantries. The director appeared on stage to scattered applause, welcoming everyone, reminding them to turn off their cell phones. The cast and crew and orchestra, which was mostly the music teacher playing the piano, had worked for months, and finally the big night was here. They were so honored to be part of the homecoming festivities. She thanked the school principal for her support, and welcome to the class of 1979. Y'all all look great. On with the show. This is it. The lights dimmed. They were obviously supposed to go down all at the same time, but the sequence sputtered and it was more like a haphazard, hey, you forgot that button, push that one too. A rocky start. The opening musical sequence took over from any lighting distraction, stirring us to anticipation playing bits and pieces of the Rodgers and Hammerstein classic songs, a foretaste of the upcoming production. Then the curtain went up and we were transported to the residence of a middle-aged French planter on a South Pacific island who was hosting a shapely, cute American nurse. They were giggling and bantering like two people in early stages of love and courtship tend to do. On first acquaintance with the audience, the actor who played the planter, Emile Dubeck, was handsome and strapping with noticeably spray-painted touches of gray hair. He seemed to be ideally suited for the task though his French accent wouldn't cause someone to mistake him for a native French speaker who is adapting to English, it was very passable and put me at ease. I recognized that he was one of those high school actors that didn't make me grimace, inwardly hoping for this to be over as soon as possible, even though we had just started. I wondered how Davy's skills would compare to Emil's. The young lady who was cast as the character of Nellie Forbush the nurse also seemed great for the role. I confess I was probably expecting the worst, that this wouldn't be much of a performance with untrained actors, basic sets and costuming, forgotten lines and blown blocking and sung lyrics that were probably hard to hear. In events like this I had attended before, invariably at least one of the wireless mics had gone haywire and on the fritz, and that person's lines were lost to all except those in the front row or two of the auditorium. But that wasn't the case here. They were coming in loud and clear. I glanced over at stage mom. She was on the edge of her chair, drinking in the action. She'd obviously been to every rehearsal and knew the show well, perhaps also from the film, as she was mouthing the lines in perfect sequence with both Emil and Nellie. I reasoned that if one of their mics went bad, I could lean over and ask her what was said. Later in the show, onto the stage burst two children, running, laughing, and playing some kind of game of tag. They were revealed to be Emil's children. What was striking about them is that they weren't white Europeans, like he was, but a mix of European and some kind of dark-skinned race, presumably in the context of the show, some variety of South Pacific Islander. Chosen from the local community, the characters were played by mixed-race African-Americans, and they seemed perfect. 
The sight of the children stunned Nellie. Emil ventured to help her absorb this minor shock. It was clear that Nellie was expecting white children. She would have to get her head around the fact that this man she was falling for had obviously diverted on a path from being attached to someone who looked just like him to having children with someone from a different race. Her surprise did not take Emil by surprise. As you could tell, he was bracing himself to explain the background of all this. But I guess you never know how an explanation is going to go until it's time to give it. He tried, but his explanation was complicated. As the show continued, one of the young American officers, Lieutenant Joe Cable, entered into a relationship with Liat, a young Tonkinese girl, the daughter of Bloody Mary. They wanted more of each other and were taking steps to express their love. But Joe knew that their relationship, which might give way to a future together, was not standard. He was Caucasian, and she was a dark-skinned South Pacific Islander. Trouble was on the horizon. Even though I'd seen the film more than once and should have been well-primed for Joe's reflective song about their budding, messy, intercultural love affair, it came at me fresh like I'd never heard it before. I guess I'd not paid attention until now. I heard these words. You've got to be taught to hate and fear. You've got to be taught from year to year. It's got to be drummed in your dear little ear. You've got to be carefully taught. You've got to be taught to be afraid of people whose eyes are oddly made and people whose skin is a different shade. You've got to be carefully taught. You've got to be taught before it's too late, before you're six or seven or eight, to hate all the people your relatives hate. You've got to be carefully taught. When the song was over, first thing I remember is that my face was hot, flushing with blood. I abruptly leaned back in my chair, realizing that I'd been unaware that I had been leaning forward, no doubt straining to make sure I was hearing every word of the song clearly. I must have had a slack jaw and one of those You've got to be kidding me, open mouths, but I don't remember it. I did notice that my pulse was racing. Did I just hear what I just heard? Prejudice is taught. It's not something we're necessarily born with or something that we can't help. It's something we acquire. And we learn it as young children. Well, not necessarily true for everyone, my spinning mind was analyzing my past and reviewing my environment of growing up in this community. I mulled over the fact that there really were people around me in my spheres of life who'd been taught to hate all the people your relatives hate. Ouch. I had no choice but to accept the reality that had grabbed my heart. Namely, it was plain to me that my white friends looked down on blacks for reasons that were not acceptable. They had, to put it mildly, been taught that they were a different and superior race of people. A different culture represented by a different skin color on Paul Washington would not be tolerated in a particular swimming pool in Scottsboro. The fears of Jobab Robinson that he'd be harassed for any misstep as a black football player at Alabama were indeed real. They were real because the teaching of prejudice had been very successful, and he knew it. It had been ingrained and passed down to succeeding generations. 
Those who'd been on the receiving end of prejudice knew that it was personal and vindictive. I thought back to the beginning of the performance. Nellie had revealed to Emil that she was from Arkansas. Emil's language skills stumbled over his rendering of the name of her state capital city of Little Rock, and that drew a laugh from the audience. If one were not careful, that humorous aside could distract the observer from what the writer was conveying. His point surely was that this was not a random geographical placement of the character. She was from Arkansas in the Deep South, where open and racial prejudice lived. Her grappling with the disconnect of mixed-race children did not just stun her and obviously upset her, but it would force her to make a decision. Was this relationship with a handsome, winsome, wealthy man one that was worth it? Or were her own carefully taught prejudices too much to bear and she'd need to migrate to someone who was safer and more like her? Nellie and Joe Cable were grappling with parallel dilemmas. My mind was obviously on overdrive. It's not an overstatement that this artistic representation was a life-changing encounter. Funny how these can happen in the least expected places. I reckon that this perspective of teaching others to hate what you hate covers a whole bunch of things in life. Does prejudice take hold of us, sneak in, and dominate us without us knowing it? Meanwhile, my mind and heart were now elsewhere for the duration of this senior showcase. I hoped that Stage Mom would not lean over and ask me about Davy's performance. It was an insignificant blur to me, as I had mentally left the building. But I was sure he was terrific. 